Thank you, Pastor Fred. <laughs> Thanks for avoiding catastrophe. Uh, it was worth being here just for the worship this morning. And uh, if you were here in the fall, you might remember as me as the one who tripped coming up here trying to get up these two steps. Uh, we, uh, we had the joy of, I guess about a month ago, of handing, having a, a Amanda Ortiz and her Fearsome Five worship team at our church. Uh, our congregation wants to adopt them for ourselves. And then uh, just two days ago at our church, we had uh, Pastor Phil McNeil. We turned him loose uh, doing what he just did here a couple of days ago. Uh, our people had never seen a demonstration of the prophetic gift like that. And uh, there was one young man we had invited uh, who knows the call of God is on his life. Um, he's still uh, sort of wondering about that. And he came and sat in the balcony as far away as he could get in the back corner. And Pastor Feld said, you in the balcony in the back corner and read his mail. Uh, so it was really an exciting uh, service. I just want to, I asked Connie if she wanted to uh, say anything, and she said she doesn't. It's not like that at home. But uh, <laughs> I, I wanted to mention uh, a book she has written. We, we didn't bring any to sell. I'm just giving kudos to my wife. A Man After God's Own Heart, her father, Jack Sisler, who uh, uh, this is on his ministry of revival in four countries, Indonesia, Argentina, Paraguay, and Brazil. And then she wrote her own book on her story called The Crystal Bell of how God used polio in her life that struck her when she was one years old. And uh, so these books have actually gone around the world and are on Kindle. And it was amazing. There was a prophetic word over her from a friend of ours in Canada years ago that said that she was going to have an international ministry. And we both sort of chuckled about that. Our friend Leonard, yeah, he likes us. He's our friend and wanted to think, think nice things about us. But actually, Connie has probably impacted a, a wider, wider part of the world with her books than I have in my in-person ministry. I'd like to invite you to turn on your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 13. 1 Chronicles chapter 13. And I'll just begin reading from verse 1. David conferred with each of his officers, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. He then said to the whole assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you, and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our brothers throughout the territory of Israel, and also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their towns and pasture lands to come and join us. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to this because it seemed right to all the people. So David assembled all of the Israelites, and I'll skip down a little bit, to bring up from there the ark of God, the Lord, who was enthroned between the cherubim, the ark that is called by the name. They moved the ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart with Usa and Ohio guiding it. 
David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God with songs and with harps and lyres, tambourines, cymbals, and trumpets. I want to mention something about the ark that a lot of uh, people know, sort of know what the ark was, but it was not just one more piece of furniture in the uh, tabernacle. It was the most important object on the face of the earth at the time that it existed until Jesus himself came. And God's instructions to Moses when he began to explain how to build the ark, it didn't begin with the outer court where the people are. It began with the ark. The ark was at the center of everything. God is the protagonist of his own kingdom, not you and me. He does not circle everything revolving around us. And I'm sorry to say that I've heard a lot of worship choruses in the last decade or so that they're not doctrinally untrue, but they're all about me and how much Jesus loves me. And all of that is true. He does love us. But one of the things we've lost with the hymns was that the hymns began by exalting God and his attributes and who he is. All of the rest flows out from that. And the uh, ark here, I, and this message is so, I'm so full of this, it would actually take about three chapels to, to share with you everything I'm feeling, but I, I, I want to go right to the bullseye of what I've felt ever since Pastor Fred invited me some months ago, I knew immediately I would be speaking from this. And uh, just a little trivia, years ago, and we appreciate them so much, I was preaching in a church in Maryland and Pastor Fred was in the, just in the congregation that morning and gave a prophetic word that shot across the sanctuary and stuck in me, probably don't even remember it, and uh, I had no idea what it meant, but I knew it was for me. And I went to him later and I said, that was for me. He said, yeah, I knew it was for you. I said, what does it mean? He said, I don't know. And, uh, but that's the thing about the prophetic sometimes. Six months later, when we had to make a decision as to how much longer we were going to stay in Paraguay to know God's timing, God brought that word back to me. I'd totally forgotten about it. And it answered that question and we knew uh, when it was, was time to leave and come back to North America. And I'll, I'll never forget that. But uh, the ark had been carried into battle in an improper way uh, during the time of King Saul uh, in a battle against the Philistines and they lost it. And God did his own thing in bringing it back to Abinadab's house where it sat for a long time, but no one, this, this most important object, no one had bothered to try to get this back to its rightful place until David became king. And that is another indication why he's called a man after God's own heart. And so <clears throat> the ark was where God's presence, manifest presence, uh, appeared in what was called the Shekinah glory. Now that's not the same as the omnipresence of God. The omnipresence of God fills the universe. Uh, Adolf Hitler was in the omnipresence of God, not that he knew it, 
You don't feel the omnipresence of God. But you can't be in the manifest presence of God and not know it. And uh, when you are, it'll put you on your face. And you'll experience brokenness. You'll have a revelation of how unworthy you are, yet without condemnation. And it breaks you to realize how you don't deserve anything from God, and yet he loves you anyway. When you get that dynamic, a revelation of that dynamic, it'll change your life. And uh, so I want to tell you about a revival that was going on in Argentina. And it sort of began in 1950 with an evangelist called Tommy Hicks, an American evangelist who moved in the incredible power of God. He was holding meetings in a, a football stadium there, a soccer stadium. The, the power of God was so intense. People walking down the sidewalk on the outside of the stadium who he didn't even have any intention of going in, got healed. And denominations were flowing together. There's books written on this. And uh, then that revival continued through different processes over the next decades. And in the 1960s, it had resulted in a flowing together of denominations and churches that uh, almost weren't on speaking terms before. So we graduated here in 1969 when Woolly Mammoth still roamed in Lima. And the graduation speaker, his name was Jack Sisler. I had no idea who he was. And a few months after uh, our, we graduated, uh, I was driving through Lima in the one and only BMW I'll ever, ever have. And I had a vision. And in this vision, I saw this man, Jack Sisler and myself, symbolically walking down a path together, shoulder to shoulder. And with it, I understood that God was going to put us together in ministry. I mean, I was still a fairly new Christian. I thought, what? I'm not even going to see the guy again. He was a missionary in Argentina. His U.S. home was California. He took his two darling daughters who were in our class named Connie and Kathy and went back to California and never figured I'd see them again. And so I thought, well, I don't know, maybe it was just too much pizza last night. And, uh, but Elam Bible Institute used to have camp meetings every summer, family camp meetings. There were tents and campers out here. And I had a summer job and I tried to get here as, to as many of those as I could. And uh, as I was walking out of what was the old gymnasium that used to be on the other side. Maybe you've seen pictures of it. Uh, somebody grabbed me from the back and said, do you recognize this voice? I said, I know I've heard it, but no, I don't. And it was this guy, Jack Sisler. And he said, I want to invite you to go to Argentina with me. I thought, these missionaries that come through Elam, they think every, every Elam student has to be a missionary. I didn't say that. And then he said, and don't think I invite all Bible school students to be missionaries. You're the only one I've, I've ever invited. So, oh, far be it from me to think that. And uh, so I was very impetuous. I was just out of the Air Force, very military. You, you would, 
probably not have liked me too much. I was a little hard to take. And some people, God's got to convince them to obey. It was like, give me, give me my orders. What are we waiting for? God has spoken. So I was, I was ready to go immediately. I'll skip over the four years in which I didn't go. And in the meantime, thought I had committed the unpardonable sin, uh, had no idea what I'd, what I'd done wrong, no more words from God, no more visions. Uh, and all this time I'm getting uh, letters from Argentina, when are you going to get down here? Uh, there were meetings that were going on 24-7. Uh, people came as a high-profile when they had to, and uh, uh, another um, high-profile leader down there was on the platform with my father-in-law. He said, Jack, it doesn't, we aren't even needed here anymore. God just doing his own thing. People were lost in worship. Uh, meetings that just went on and on and on. Uh, Argentina's had more revivals than it deserves. And uh, so I thought, Lord, all, all my short Christian life up to that point, I want to see one move of God in my lifetime. I don't want to just read about them. Anyone else feel that way? Do you like to see a move of God? And, and yet, here it's going on, and I can't get there. How does God stop you? He doesn't give you the money to go. And so, finally, the time came... And this Jack Sisler is now my father-in-law, so I'm skipping over many details here. And, uh, and so I remember the screech of the air, airplane wheels touching down at the international airport in Buenos Aires and thinking, God, why didn't you bring... I was going to go down and empty the hospitals, pray for the sick. Argentina was waiting for me. And now that I'm absolutely worthless and have nothing to give, now you bring me. God didn't say anything, but he could have said, I've waited four years to hear that. To empty myself. So we get there, and we go into the meetings. We're finally there. And there was such a spiritual deadness that people could hardly even raise their hands in worship. And I said, Lord, how could... A nationwide church have experienced what they did and wind up like this. I am not leaving here, this country, until you show me. And it didn't happen right away. In fact, it took about all five years that we were there without any furloughs. And God brought me to First Chronicles chapter 13. And So I will continue reading. Everything was just hunky-dory up to where we read. But then we come to verse 9. When they came to the threshing floor of Chidon, Usa reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Usa, and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. Almost every message I've ever heard preached on this was, and so you see the whole problem was they were bringing the ark up on a cart and it was supposed to be on the shoulders of the priest and that's what the whole problem was. Well, that is true. It should have been on the shoulders of the priests. But why did it work for a while? That was the question in my mind. Problems didn't start right from the beginning. 
It worked for a while. And David's response, and here's the key to understanding this. David was afraid of God. In, in the Spanish Bible, it says angry with God. Ever been angry with God? He can handle it. That day and asked, how can I ever bring the ark of God to me? The key isn't so much on how. We already know how. It was supposed to be on the shoulders of the priests. But his question, the emphasis, how can I bring the ark of God to me? How can I make the presence of God my experience? And just because you're in meetings where there's a presence of God doesn't mean you've moved into it. The scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. God gives free samples. There was a military takeover while we lived down there, and the dollar exchange went from we could go out to eat with a whole family for about $5 on that exchange, and then all of a sudden, the military government took over, and they made an artificial exchange in which we couldn't go out for pizza once a month. And being Americans, we liked our ice cream, and Argentina has an incredible dairy industry and wonderful ice cream. But an ice cream uh, would have cost about uh, probably $10 a cone. We, you went out for ice cream for your anniversary. And, uh, but anyone familiar with places like Baskin Robbins here? Uh, I don't think there's any around here anymore, but you can go in and they have these little spoons and you can get a free sample. And, uh, uh, no, I, I, I don't think I want that one. Now, do you think they're going to let you stand there all day and just eating free samples? They're going to draw the line somewhere. It comes to the point where you're going to have to pay the price to buy a full-fledged ice cream cone. Well, God gives us free samples. And we can think that we moved into it, but when the wave is high, everybody looks great. And everybody thinks that this is now my experience. In 1994, there was a revival going on in this campus, in this building, with a guy named Ray Sells. And people were being slain in the spirit. I, nothing ever happens to me. Everybody, uh, there was a meeting one time, uh, and everybody had gone down. It looked like a forest that had, all the trees had been shut down, and, except me. Didn't feel a thing. I looked around and Paul Johansson was the other one standing. I thought, at least I'm in good company with the president. <laughs> but when the race hells move came, uh, he said, if anybody's hungry for God, and I just told God, Lord, I'm grateful for everything you've done in my life, but I need a new encounter. We need many encounters. And I said, I mean, I was so desperate. It was like, either take me home or give me a new encounter. And it was days later, meetings were going on here. Council of Elders, we were sitting up here, had a little worship. Ray Seld said, this floor is God's operating table. If you want an encounter with God, get down here. My first thought was, oh, if I stand up, they're going to think there's sin in my life. I said, I don't care. I came down. He started walking toward me. Now, this is during... EF pastors conference and not all the pastors had shown up yet and they're starting to come into the foyer out there and they go, what has Elam gotten themselves into because this ha hadn't been announced and Ray Sells got about 10 feet from me and I went down and, and couldn't get up 
And there were pastors saying, my goodness, what has Elam gotten into? This looks, well, they said, Velikup went down, this has got to be God. So, but as wonderful as that was, there were those who went down, who had uh, what was called holy laughter and uh, all these really wonderful manifestations. But when the, when the wave came down, there were many of those who did not follow God. There was one couple with a husband, they got divorced. What, what happened? Because they had never brought the ark of God home to them. They were living on free samples. And, and there's nothing wrong with the free samples as long as it's temporary. I mean, just go back when you have time and read the Song of Solomon. In the woman there, there's three stages. I am my beloved's and he is mine. Notice the order. Then it gets switched to I'm my beloved's in the end. It doesn't matter about what I'm getting out of it. He's getting me. He's getting all of me. And the three stages of the, of the tabernacle. And you say, well, Pastor Harry, I'm, I'm saved. Didn't, that was an encounter. Wasn't that enough? Well, it's a wonderful encounter, but the ark wasn't in the outer court. Well, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I spoke in tongues. I even prophesied. That's great. That's the holy place. That's where the priests ministered. And when we get baptized in the Holy Spirit, we are clothed with priestly robes to now function. But the ark is not in the holy place. It's in the holiest of holies. And that was only opened when Jesus said, it is finished and the veil was rent and there was brokenness. And that has been opened to us, Hebrews chapter 4, to come into the holiest of holies. When Jesus was talking with Nicodemus and he said, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. The Greek word means perceive, know the kingdom of God exists. But in Acts chapter 14, after Paul had gone back to the churches where uh, had, had just been started, actually synagogues that now knew who the Messiah was, his message was, we only come into the kingdom through much tribulation. In other words, there's a process. He's not talking about the great tribulation. It's talk about there are dealings. It's the difference between if you're satisfied of sitting in the bleachers and watching the game or you want to get out on the playing field. And I'm telling you, the church is coming into a time, and I believe already into it, where free sample Christianity isn't going to stand up. And is there anyone here this morning that wants to be on the playing field and have no doubt about it? When I was in the Air Force, there was, we had an incredible wing commander, Colonel Ernest T. Craig. And he had an unusual ability as a high-ranking officer to have fellowship with a man of any rank. It didn't matter. But he made you understand something. If you're going to, the closer you get to me, the higher the price is going to be in your relationship. And there was a staff sergeant, and the commander and he used to play golf together. But the staff sergeant wound up getting thrown in the brig for drunken disorderly. 
every stripe stripped away. It took years to get enough stripes to be a staff sergeant. And he said, the commander was totally within his rights. He told me, when you walk this close to me, the consequences are much stronger than somebody that I don't even know. Every stage of coming into the temple was another encounter with the cross. Each one was opened with blood, and the blood was taken all the way into the Ark of the Covenant when the high priest went in. I want to give an opportunity this morning. You can't believe how much I'm skipping over. But like I said, I want to go to the bullseye. And I felt that this was a message that was needed uh, for this day. And the only way I discovered this was I had to experience brokenness myself. And you might think, well, Pastor Harry, I've, I've known big problems. I'm not talking about big problems. Problems can either break you or make you bitter. We're talking about spiritual brokenness, a total surrender of our will to the Lord. I would like to invite you to stand. And I've asked uh, Brother Dick to just lead us in, in an atmosphere that will be conducive. If I have any regrets, I remember one graduating student years ago who said, uh, in those years, every senior had to preach their senior sermon. Do you have to do that? And he got up and he said, well, here I am after 269 altar calls, three years at Elam. I'll tell you one regret that I have is that I didn't come at every altar call. I thought I had to necessarily feel something. It's an act of will. It's an act of faith. I would rather come forward and have nothing happen than for God to give me an opportunity and not respond when he, he might have done something. So as Brother Dick leads us, I want to give that opportunity to you this morning. I believe we're at a very pivotal time in Christianity, not just for our nation, but in the world. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Jesus. There may be those who feel like many times that God is moving in someone else's life and a fellow student and why is it that I'm not experiencing uh, what they're experiencing? But don't limit uh, what God is doing in your life to thinking that. Every time we make a, a move, even a, just a, a physical move like this, it's a step of faith. Charles Finney was the one right in this area who sort of invented the altar call because he realized that people needed to do something, uh, even a simple thing, and God will respond. One of the first verses that uh, lifted off the page of the Bible when I was reading the Bible in the Air Force in which I got saved reading it was in James 4, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. That is a promise 
It doesn't say if you feel like it or you feel like he is. If you draw nigh to God, you do what you can. The promise is. And it may not happen while you're up here in the front kneeling. You never know when it could be triggered. I've heard speakers here, special speakers, and it, and it was later that God took the very verse that they had been preaching on and said, that's you, that's you. And another little transformation in my life. So don't let anyone think nothing's going on. If you have drawn nigh to him, he is drawing nigh to you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for these wonderful lives, these wonderful servants in process. Lord, I just pray that you would confirm uh, in an ongoing way which is the many things you've already been doing. You've been downloading things into their lives. But Lord, let this just be one more uh, highlight in which they know that they have met with you. Let your blessing be upon each of them this morning and carry. We don't want just your presence, Lord, for our own benefit. We want to be carriers of, this, of your presence because that's what this world needs. They want authenticity. They want reality. Let that flow out of our lives. In Jesus' name.